In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as the Toronto Argonauts win 23-20 over the British Columbia Lions. JB, you predicted a three-point Toronto victory. I predicted a Toronto blowout. How is it that it felt like it could have gone either way, but ultimately ended up in a three-point win for the Argos? It definitely did. The first quarter was as good as the Argos have played. I thought the Argos could have blown that game wide open in the first quarter, and then it just didn't didn't break that way. Um, then then BC kind of got on a roll. It was, it was a very back and forth game after that. Um, but early on, it felt it definitely felt like the Argos could have been up twenty one nothing at the end of that quarter. The problem with first halves like that is that. You know, as Toronto, you're feeling like this shouldn't even be a game. When it was, when it was thirteen nothing, it felt like this could be twenty nothing. This could be, you know, this could be over. And then suddenly, Montreal scores a touchdown. They're back in it. And now, instead of feeling confident, and feeling like you're running away with it, now you're like, oh my goodness, we've outplayed them so badly, and yet they're a touchdown from taking the lead, and that starts to tighten you up a little bit. So let's go through some of those things that we saw early in the game. First of all, this was such a weird Toronto lineup. They had so many starters out of place on both sides of the ball. You had every single receiver was in a different spot from last week. So obviously they were without Darius Daniels and Demonte Coxie. But even with the three guys that that did play last week, they're all in different spots. You have Banks at Z. He was on the bench. Phillips slides over. You've got Amble suddenly playing the boundary side. And then flip over to the defense, and almost everybody's in a different spot. Of course, McManus and, and Ray are out. But you've got Shaq playing Sam. Chris Edwards playing corner, which we really haven't seen before. And then and then Deshaun Amos was a late scratch right before the the, the kickoff. And and so you had McFadden now playing field half, which we really haven't seen either. Priester in the other halfback spot. I think that even though this was complete chaos for the Argos, in some ways, I think this may have been one of the reasons why BC struggled early on, because all week they wouldn't really have known what to plan for. They certainly weren't expecting to be going up against a group that looked like this today. Do you see that as maybe being what, it gave Toronto the advantage early on. Yeah, it, it seemed like it, like BC or or Vernon Adams specifically was having a hard time identifying who was supposed to be where. Especially, I know it used to be an old Jets trick where they would change all their uniform numbers. Um, sometimes on film, you look to numbers and you expect numbers to be a particular place, and suddenly you're seeing numbers from another place. Um, he. You know, what they were doing with Edwards, he adjusted to, but it took a full quarter to kind of start taking that free money, that free underneath money. Yeah, and I know they ran some really interesting stuff too, because I'm usually pretty good at identifying coverage at speed. And there were a few plays where Adams got sacked and I had no idea what I was looking at. And I've got a way better view than Vernon Adams does from, from up in the press box. You should be able to see everything. And there were a couple of times where I'm like, I, I, I have no idea what that coverage was. And I was specifically looking for it. And so no wonder Vernon Adams was, was having trouble with it. But he did seem to start to 
figure things out. And as the game progressed, they started to find some holes in the Toronto defense. I, I think what caught me off guard is that when I saw Chris Edwards was going to be playing corner, you and I talked about this actually a couple of days ago. We, we kind of thought that that would mean they're going to be playing a lot of double cut where you have Peters and Edwards playing the flats exclusively. And that was going to help with run support. And that's maybe what the, the plan was. But they didn't really do that. They got to some of that. But it was it was really uh, all over the place. You had Edwards suddenly switching positions and blitzing. They moved guys around so fluidly. It must have been really hard for Adams to just identify not just the coverage, but like who was where, where the pressure was coming from. And yeah, it seemed to take him most of that first half to figure out. But Toronto just couldn't put enough points up on the board to to really do do away with the Lions in that first half. No, I mean, really, if you look at the defense, it it had a terrific game. Like I know BC was able to move the ball on the occasional drive, but they they never really figured Toronto out. It was more a couple of times he was able to hit some seam routes, and a couple of times. Uh, they were able to re- to do a cutback run uh, for a nice gash, uh, but it was never. They were never really able to go up and down the field against Toronto. So I, you know, I think full credit to the to the to the Argos for for being able to patch together a defense that was still able to to play pretty pretty uh, effective against uh, an offensive powerhouse. I loved how aggressive Coach Dinwiddie was in this game. He's not known as an aggressive coach, and he's not known as an aggressive play caller. So typically, third down and short, we're kicking field goals or punting. And typically on uh, situations like that today, he, it was the opposite. He was he was going for it. He, he rolled the dice a few times on third and two, uh, went, for, went for it on third and goal. Uh, what do you think brought about this change in Coach Dinwiddie's philosophy today? Mm. Well, it's interesting. The first drive, they were down, um, or at least early in the first quarter, they were down in the BC area, and they didn't go for it on third down, and they kicked a field goal. And I was, was frustrated because I thought, They've done so well against BC. They've really like not allowed anything. Um, at worst, Vernon Adams has the ball in the fifteen, and uh, you know, I don't know whether I texted that to Coach by accident, but um, <laughs> after that, it was just like a go. I like I think they felt it. They're like that was a that was a mistake. I should not have kicked the field goal there. We're we're dominating this team defensively. You know, we've got our foot on their throat. Let's. Let's really give it to them. Um, I think they felt really confident about what they were doing defensively, and and you know offensively, they wanted to try and match that. So uh, yeah, I, I was really happy with the aggressiveness. It it makes sense against a team. It doesn't always make sense, but it made sense tonight because they were doing a really good job of of pinning BC down. And when, when you're able to do that, you can be more aggressive because if you, if you get stopped, so be it. You know, they're not, you know, you just roll the dice that BC is not going to go up and down the field. Um, so, yeah, I, I love seeing it. Didn't didn't always work, but uh, it was definitely the right call to to try and uh, to try and finish that team. 
It was actually the six yard line they got down to on that one, but I'm okay with kicking the field goal there. Third and six is not the same as third and five. I know it's just one yard, but it's not the same to me. And I think that taking that 13 yard field goal, it's the first score of the game, getting on the board first. I get what you're saying. I know it wouldn't have been the end of the world if you don't get it and Vernon Adams takes over on his own six. Sure, I I get that. But I just think getting the first points on the board, knowing that your defense is off to such a good start. And they were, they, that first, those first few plays uh, were, were awesome. They were epic for, for the Toronto defense. So maybe you can go wrong either way, but yeah, certainly after that was when he got really aggressive. And he said to me after the game, cause I was asking about this because I, I mentioned that this isn't what we're used to seeing. And he said it was a plan coming into the game and it even affected his play calling. I asked him specifically the question when it's second and five and you are in BC's end, were you calling as though you've got two more plays or were you calling the same way that, that you call typical games? And he's like, no, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm, I'm calling plays and planning for situations where I've got two more plays where I know I'm going to go for it on third down once we're you know past a certain point. So that's different. Coaches in general are way too conservative. Um, this is certainly something I've been raging about for years and years early on the podcast is, yeah, I, I don't need to be, you know, kind of fundamentalist about it and you have to you know, always go for it like some sort of A11 team. But um, coaches are way too conservative on third down and should go for it way more often. And touchdowns, not field goals, should be the mantra. And, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see more of it baked into the team because I, I think lots of team. Every team we've played plays out of the same playbook. Every every coach play, you could just set your watch by it. Here comes the punt. Here comes the field goal. So to push that envelope, I think, is a, a smart play. I'd love to see the Argos keep it going forward. I've been begging for it for four years. I mean, since we started the podcast, I've been begging for an you know, a progressive <laughs> coaching philosophy. So maybe today is the beginning of a, a new era. I would welcome that. Certainly. I know you would, as you're saying. And, you know, as that first quarter came to an end, I felt like I felt like my one thing for this week was going to come come true. I I asked for a first quarter touchdown to set the tone. And didn't they get down to the one yard line at the last play of the first quarter? And on the first play of the second quarter, they score. So it didn't it wasn't quite there. But I think it was sort of there in spirit. We had one one play late. Drop the damn thing. Yeah, well, actually, I, I thought that was a really nice play and coverage. I, the the BC corners and uh, halfbacks, actually, all the, the DBs in general today, I thought played really well in that first half. They they were all over the place. That was man coverage there, and I thought uh, I can't remember. It was the Sam Backer who was in on that play, and he just kind of got his hand in there. That was a tough one, but yeah, they the point is uh, they did enough to get ten points in the first quarter. It just happened to come first play of the second quarter. And then your one thing came through because you were looking for a perfect day from, yeah. from Boris Beatty. He delivered. He did. And, you know, and in a game where the game was lost on a, on a field goal bonk, um, Beatty was dialed in big, uh, big conversion after that touchdown to, to force BC to, uh, to try and go for the field goal for the, for the tie instead of the win. And, uh, yeah, he looked great. He looked he looked like, you know, the board of PD that uh, we've come to rely on. So that was really great to see. 
And could this be the beginning of another magic stretch from Boris Beatty? Last year, it started Thanksgiving weekend with that huge kick that he made and he held up the kicking tee with with Jake Reinhardt's number on it uh, to beat Hamilton 51 yards out last play of the game and remember that started a stretch where kickers coming into play against Toronto started failing started missing extra points started hitting the uprights and BC themselves last year they came into BMO Field that game went to overtime BC had a chance to win the game and they missed a short field goal and so I just this feel, maybe is the beginning. I feel so bad for the Lions kicker who, you know, just such poor timing that an Argo went down with an injury with no timeouts to freeze him for two or three minutes. Yeah, that, I was thinking that as it was happening. I'm like, this is just, this is even better than a timeout. But, uh, definitely, you know, what, what I mean, it seemed well, well-timed. It was good luck. And it was about time the Argos had some breaks because it seemed like nothing was going right for them today. Everything went wrong. And then suddenly the one thing that went right for them today in terms of luck, things that could have gone either way, is that field missed field goal off the uprights because everything from challenges to to bounces to not being able to recover fumbles that are right at your feet, things like that, it just didn't go Toronto's way all night. No, and then that, finally that, they, 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 got they a break. really got hosed on a late pass interference miss. Um, but that, again, I think, you know, where not everything was perfect today, you know, from a coaching point of view, they really need to be careful about spending those timeouts and challenges too early in the game. Yeah, it was a play, Coach Demony challenged to play a, a pass interference call that was, I just, seeing it live, I, I knew right talk, away this is not going to be get. your second one. Like, I think you, you know, barring, barring something drastic, you, you want to be heading into the last five minutes with a timeout in your pocket. I think if you're not, you've done something wrong. You know, it really is your job to 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 keep that to keep that in your pocket and for the final five minutes that you know so that was that might be my only kind of real kind of question um from the coaching staff tonight coach did he address that after the game because i was actually talking to him about something different he sort of brought that up too i i was asking about the end of the first half toronto is up six they have the ball with 40 seconds left at bc's 52 or 53 and that's a distance from which Haggerty can get a rouge. Haggerty can let it fly if his only goal is just to get distance. He can He's almost automatic from there, getting a rouge. He had the wind at his back. And yet they decided not to go for that. They instead uh, placed one up really high and went to go down it. And um, asking, asking Coach Dinwiddie about that, he said it, the plan going into that drive was he really wanted to end that half with a field goal, have the ball coming out. And so he blew the first time out there because it was such a key second down, he felt. He's like, we need, we absolutely need to get 10 yards here and then we can kick a field goal. That was sort of his his thinking. So that's where he, he burned that first time out. But they end up taking a sack instead. Now they're out of field goal range. But there, I think I would have gone for the ruse there just to put you up seven because that, that single point did come into play later in the game. It didn't end up costing Toronto, but it meant they needed a touchdown instead of a field goal late. And that could have been the difference in the game. His thinking was he didn't want to give them the rouge and then the ball at the 40 was still 40 seconds left because he felt like that was enough time for BC to end the half with a score and it would have been a very different game. But yeah. going yeah, back, I, I, I don't know. That's a, I think that's a fair argument. You know, um, if, if you can kick the rouge 
and and then clock zeros, that's fine. I I I think that's a fair I think that's a fair counter argument from Coach. Do you think McLeod Bethel Thompson went to the well too many times with the hard count? Because I know they got they got BC to jump twice in the first quarter, and they were key third down gambles where BC jumped and gave Toronto an automatic first down, and then it seemed like every time after that turned into a, a Toronto false start well, or a, a procedure call rather. I think he went to the Olet draw well too many times. <laughs> yeah, there were there were a couple of times that which it's uh, but I've been asking for some of these plays that we saw today and I just felt like they had bad luck situationally. Like I've been I've been begging for screens and draws and it just felt like every time they dialed them up today, BC had the perfect defense called for it. And that's what I was saying before about having some well, bad luck. Well, if they'd run those screens and draws on other uh, other situations, they would have gone, but not this time. I'll tell you one play they did have the perfect defense for was that Curly Gittins Jr. run Red Rover call. <laughs> but I don't know if that was a bust or whatever, but take that play and throw it in a volcano. Yeah, so the play that JB is talking about and describing so eloquently is a play where they have an empty backfield. McLeod starts to roll in one direction and Gittins cuts across on a diagonal on a, on a run play to the other side. And it's a, yeah, it was a, it was it's a terrible almost like, play. Honestly, it's almost, like a, it's almost like a rugby play, like a, like a rugby like a switch, switch play. Yeah. Except it you did. run into nine dudes watching it. <laughs> now, in Coach Dinwiddie's defense... They had a play action off that same action, off that same look. I'd hope so. Yeah, they well, they ran that later in the game, and that went successfully. That was a completed pass to Ambles, and so I'm not a big fan of like burning a play just to set something else up. But I, I'm sure it didn't look quite like that in practice, because uh, yeah, that went for a that went for like a one yard loss right into a, a bunch of linemen. But yeah, the the play action off that worked beautifully, and you know sometimes that's. I guess if you're trying to find, you know, how do we open this up? How do we get, how do we get McLeod some space? How do we change? Because we talked about that last week, changing the launch point, getting him outside the pocket. That action does that. It achieves that. But they did have you're, to burn you're not gonna a get play. A lot of, you're not going to get a lot of pursuit to uh, McLeod heading left. We we <laughs> joked a little bit with McLeod Just after like, the game. Like the pursuit pursuit will watch him with their eyes, but you're not going to get actual pursuit that you are now countering with with kittens. He had a huge run after the game, <laughs> and did. David Morissetti asked about this so in in uh, in the the press conference. He asked if that was the fastest he'd ever run and what he was thinking at that point. It was funny because it, the space opened up. It was it was two man, and so everybody was gone. The center of the field was wide open, and McLeod saw it and immediately, like eyes got wide, he took off. But he said what he was thinking that whole time is he said in his last game uh, as an NFL player, he had a forty yard run and fumbled the ball. And so as he was running that 24-yard run, whatever it was, he was thinking to himself, I'm, I'm going to hang on to this football. And he had uh, a fairly, uh, fairly elegant slide well, I think that, at the end yeah, of that. And I think that speaks to exactly, you know, his level of veteran play versus Kelly, who's still kind of, you know, jumping around. And when he had the ball and he ran down the field, when really they're just trying to run the clock out and ends up fumbling it. You know, because he wasn't like, well, whatever I do, I better not fumble the ball on this play. The touchdown is not what we need. So I think that's a that's a nice contrast. 
There were um, a couple of fun play calls in the second quarter. After BC had been jumping offside, they ended up with a, a third and two. They sent the Chad Kelly package in and did the sort of hard count. And they ended up settling for a field goal there. But I, I like that. You've got BC to jump twice. You This is not the same as just leaving McLeod out there and having him what is clearly just going to be a hard count trying to draw BC. I like the sending Chad in because we have seen Chad go for it on third and two situations. That different look I thought was kind of a, a clever attempt. And to tie into that, I also love late in the game, second and inches and Chad Kelly came out there. And at that time, I, I was uh, saying to the, the guys in the press box, I'm like, I, I love the idea of going deep here. I didn't think they would do it. But this speaks again to Coach Dinwiddie's aggressive nature today. Second and inches, they, they go deep on a go route to Leak. And Chad Kelly throws a really nice back shoulder, but Leak lost his footing in the grass and, and yeah, couldn't I, come down with the well, ball. We t- yeah, we haven't talked about that. I, I have a few questions about that play. Offensive Go for coordinator. it. That's a um, that's a great play. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't think it is. Um, I I I I I don't I don't. If I'm looking for that play, there, I think a back shoulder to the running back is is not what I want. And especially you're throwing across the whole damn field. Like that is not a high percentage play. I I, I love. Look, if he releases and nobody goes with him, you catch him sleeping. Great. I, I thought as soon as somebody went with him, he should cut that in. He should cut that route off and cut it in, and it should just be a straightforward throw. I thought the throw was way too, way too difficult to play. You're going to catch what? You're going to catch a back shoulder across the field? From a it's court- a professional athlete. It's no, elite. Not, he's a on. good receiver. He's a professional athlete. No, 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 it's no. a wide open no. back shoulder throw. No, if that, he doesn't that, lose his the feet. The timing you need. How many times has he thrown the leak? The timing you need to hit back shoulders. I don't know. That to me is that's a low percentage. That's a low percentage play. I want to see, you know, you run, run eight yards in an in and I'll just throw straight down the middle of the field. There's nobody out there. But, the eight yards and an in isn't going to be open. The reason that's open is because the well, DB no, had to turn his open. back. There was nobody there. Everybody was at the line. It was just the two of them running down the field together. Well, he wasn't looking for a go route, and then suddenly he had to turn his back and take off, and no. that's why you go back shoulder. The, the <laughs> DB didn't even know the ball was coming. Oh. <laughs> that's it's no. like easy ups. That's that's no. pregame warm up kind of stuff. And I think no, you know, I think Leak makes that catch seven out of ten times. No, I, I, just, I disagree. I think back shoulder throws take reps and time we can't even mcleod can't even get back shoulders down with his receivers who he doesn't play with all the time i just think it i anyways i was not in love with that play i would have had i would have had a play i would have just gone for it i would not have run once once the guy went with them that to me that play is over he's a running back you're throwing across you're throwing to the wide not side like of the a field 1970s a fullback he's a receiving back no. he's he's got great hands out of the backfield offensive coordinator talk Ugh. this is and because you you may as well take that shot because you're it was second in inches you're going to convert on third down they converted it easily yeah and I, I applaud that yeah i, I just and thought it was not a well designed Low. And if you're looking for ways to back up the defense and have them think twice about short yardage plays, this is a way to do it. You only need to do this once, and now suddenly the defense is, well, hang on a second, maybe we shouldn't maybe we shouldn't just take it for granted that they're going to be sneaking up the middle. And I, I love how that's developed this season, because you don't really know what's going to happen on 
on second and short, third and short now, because they've shown Chad coming around the outside. They've shown him sneaking right up the middle like he did today for the touchdown. They've now shown him passing the ball uh, deep for that matter. <laughs> so I like that. I like that you can't just sit on a sneak. No, I don't, mind, the, I don't the mind that. I don't mind that part, but I, I did not like that play. But that's okay. We can moving on. So 13 nothing mid second quarter. That was a weird drive that that BC put together. They you know they broke a 24 yard run and then they had that 33 yard touchdown pass. I have no idea still to this moment how that pass got to Hollins in the end zone. You had Peters and Mechie right there. It seemed to go through all four of their hands and somehow Hollins was holding on to it at the end in the back corner of the end zone, falling down. I, I just felt like that was such an improbable result for a 33-yard throw. Oh, terrible. Although you you do often see that when you have two defensive players at the same time, at the same place, it kind of screws them up. They sort of don't know, am I catching it? Are you catching it? Am I deflecting it? So it, it you actually see that fairly commonly when two guys get there at the same time. So, But it was... You know, it it had me worried about is this is this going to be one of these games? Yeah, it did feel at that moment because it was what I was talking about before. Because now it's thirteen seven, you're a touchdown away from surrendering the lead, and and at that point they had they had seriously outplayed the BC Lions, and it just felt like you had somehow let them hang around. And we've seen that before, where well, again, I keep bringing up the East final last year, but that's going to haunt a lot of Argos fans for a long time. And I think that was probably sticking with them a little bit. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about special teams because I thought there was some real excitement on special teams today. Some good, some bad, but some good that we haven't really seen a lot of. I thought Javon Leak's returns, except for one, were all pretty exciting today. He had a 31-yard kickoff return. There was some explosiveness on punt returns. You've been looking for this all year. Did Leak show the kind of flash you were hoping for? Um, yeah, I liked Leak before too. I thought I thought for sure like Leak was the best returner we've had all year. I thought he was the only one that really showed any kind of um, waggle or or ability to to get some yards. I, I thought Leak played terrific tonight. You know, he um, he was a threat. A couple of times, more than we've ever seen in two years, uh, where I think BC was legitimately concerned about him breaking one, and it gave them some nice uh, midfield starts. It's great. I mean, if if he can do that every week, that that's fantastic. He had two that I thought he might have been able to break. There was one up the sideline where he just didn't quite have the angle to keep himself in bounds. No, and if he had just sort of jumped, you know, if he had jumped in over that guy diving at him, maybe. Yeah, and then there was another one where he jumped over a, a different guy uh, going to the outside. There were there was again, it was it, it was excitement. Yeah, he, I, he looked the, he looked. Yeah, I mean, I was I was happy with that. I mean, we don't need more than that. But then there was also a little bit of a catastrophe near <laughs> near the end of the game when he tried to field a punt at the two yard <laughs> line. Yeah, he kept the ball in bounds, but he went out of bounds, and so 
when he came back in and was the first to touch the ball, that's a penalty for illegal participation. So that backed Toronto up to the one and they're staring at a 109 yard field needing a score. It just didn't seem like uh, the, the, the luck was on Toronto's side. I thought that was such a huge moment. I remember like sitting outside watching that when they were pinned and thinking this is the this is the sign of a team that can win a championship can can they get out from the shadow not can they get, go all the way down the field but can they get out of the shadow and 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 move the ball and not just get pinned down and, and they did and i was i was really impressed i thought that was a great moment for the toronto offense to to not just get buried um when they were when they were deep in their own end zone, yeah, that was that was a real positive. I thought for me, even though it didn't result in points, um, it was it was big to be able to get. You know, that's that's what championship teams have to be able to do. They have to be able to to dig out of holes. And that was on a screenplay that had they not connected on that, had that not uh, become a first down, they think they got eleven yards on that. It was second and ten from the one. They end up with an eleven yard gain. If they don't get that they're taking a safety there because yeah. at that point, BC was up by one. You take the safety to put them up by three and you know, who knows how that potentially changes the game. But yeah, they were able to, like you said, they didn't score on the drive, but they gave the lions a long field to work with instead of either getting it at midfield or instead of, um, you know, surrendering the safety, which, which could have been, they could have been the end of things. I thought the nicest pass of the night came in the third quarter. There was a gorgeous ball that McLeod Bethel-Thompson threw to Cam Phillips. He was rolling to his left, which is always tough. Phillips ran a deep corner route, and Bethel-Thompson hit him in stride in such a way that allowed him to sort of catch and turn all at once and just go streaking up the sideline for a 55-yard gain. That, to me, was was the throw of the night. I know it didn't, it, that resulted in a field goal for Toronto. That was the, the play that put them up. Uh, that was the field goal that put them up 16-7. But that pass, we've seen that pass missed a few times from McLeod Bethel-Thompson. It's, it's a tough throw, but he made, uh, he made some real throws tonight. You look at his, his stat line and, you know, he ends up with 67% completions, 352 yards in the air, one touchdown, no interceptions. That's a great night from what kind of seemed like a quiet performance somehow from from MBT. Yeah, he um, the numbers are a bit surprising, but he hit a couple of really long passes. It was not his best night, but he 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 didn't. And the fumble was was not great, Um, but he never gave up. And look, he hit the money throw to win the game. And that's why you pay your quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. Those, those, again, some of the, he had a couple of throws too that nobody else even tries. Like there was, there was one throw. I, I didn't know what he was thinking on this and it turned into a 17 yard gain. Banks was to the field side wide, like right up against the sideline. Bethel Thompson was on the far hash mark and he threw it to Banks on a 17 yard comeback, which you just, you never, ever, ever even attempt to throw that ball because it ends up being like a it's like a 35 yard pass because of how far wide you've got to throw that actually i think it's more than that it's got it's got to be close to a, a 40 42 yard pass and on a comeback you're 
terrified about a pick six. So no one ever tries that. And I think you see Bethel Thompson make some of these throws. That, that was he and Curly Gittens Jr. made a living last year with that, that exact same kind of thing. I think DBs just don't think the ball's coming. And I think the DB got surprised there because the coverage was actually pretty tight. And then suddenly Banks had the football in his hands and there's the DB getting a, a flag for PI because he, he's panicking late. Wait, the ball's coming? He's throwing a 17-yard comeback from the far hash mark. But you do get, you know, there's it's not all good with McLeod Bethel Thompson. There are certainly moments where you want to pull your hair out. But Plays like that are, are pretty special. The the going the opposite direction corner route was pretty special, and of course that touchdown pass at the end of the game was pretty special too. Um, and that's what you get from a, a veteran quarterback like McLeod Bethel Thompson. And it's not all going to be perfect, but yeah, there were moments tonight, and you know he really did he really did win the game for them in in a lot of ways. Let's talk about the uh, the fourth quarter where it looked like everything was heading in the wrong direction. You had you, you had BC leading, and then the play you alluded to earlier, Bethel Thompson's rolling to his right. He gets sacked by Ben Haladic, fumbles the football. It gets returned all the way down to the Toronto 32. Asking McLeod about that play after the game, he said he, he was pretty hard on himself with that, as, as he should be for that. He was trying to make a play, and... That's a situation where I think he was probably thinking about earlier in the game where he took a sack to take them out of field goal range. And I think there he's thinking, I've got to get rid of this ball. I've got to make sure I don't lose yardage on this play. And so he tries to pull the ball up to make something happen. Haladik's able to knock it out of his hands. And that could have been the game. That was the biggest swing we saw in the entire game where they're deep in BC territory, almost in guaranteed field goal range to take the lead. And instead... BC now has the ball in field goal range at the Toronto 32. So, and and one play after that, it was a touchdown. Hatcher ends up wide open. One of the few busts that we saw from the Toronto defense tonight, Hatcher's wide open. He somehow plowed into the end zone, surrounded by like 10 guys at the end of that. And yeah, it just, it looked like, it, it looked like everything was was falling apart at that at that stage for sure. Yeah, they, uh, they sent a lot of people on that blitz. That yeah. was like uh, I was like uh, you know I was like one of those Madden I picked uh, kick return and you didn't notice uh, blitzes because uh, yeah you you've you've got to I mean I mean I think you've got to check the run there they they brought like eleven people on that blitz and they ran a lot of different stuff tonight uh, again I I love I love talking coverage I, I find analyzing coverage is really interesting McLeod while like I said before, he wasn't perfect, but 67% completions is a good night. Obviously, 352 is a good night. Having a clean sheet on, in terms of interceptions is good. A touchdown's good. I loved how it wasn't one specific defense that he was able to see success against. And like I said before, BC ran so much different stuff. And talking to him about the coverages after the game, he expected them to rotate through it. And we did see everything. The only thing he was really surprised by was he thought in their man situations was going to be a lot more press man. Instead, they were playing off man. And that was a little bit surprising to him. But yeah, just to be able to assess right away, to read what he's got, to see, okay, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. And and coverages like like cover two man has been death for the Argos this year. BC ran that a bunch today. And McLeod... 
hit it again and again. He had a huge completion to Ambles in that against that coverage, and Ambles had a big night. That's another guy we got to talk about. We'll get to him in a second, but I want to transition into that touchdown pass and again why that's the best of McLeod Bethel Thompson. They need a drive. There's a few minutes remaining in the game. They're down by four. They've got to get a touchdown and put in that situation backs against the wall. They go 70 yards in three plays ending with that 37 yard touchdown pass to Tommy Neald. And the brilliance of that is it wasn't the play that was called. So they get to the line quickly McLeod Bethel Thompson sees that they, I don't think he knew exactly what coverage it was at that point, but he knows they've got middle of the field open. And so he checks to a play that has Tommy Neald running a post. And that's not supposed to be Tommy Neald. That's supposed to be Cam Phillips. Cam Phillips had to come out of the game a few plays earlier. He, I don't know if he got injured or if it was just a, uh, was just a, a fatigue thing, but he had to come out. Neald ran on for him. And there's Neald out there in this situation. And it ends up being cover zero, perfect audible for that situation he throws up a beautiful ball for for Tommy Neal who's able to walk into the end zone for that that 37 yard touchdown but that is that's again why you want a veteran quarterback who's going to make that call who's going to recognize the defense change the play to something that works and then not just that hit the hit the post not overthrow it not underthrow it and he stepped up i want to tell you a little bit about Tommy Neal's reaction because we got a chance to talk to him after the game. We've never had a chance to talk to Tommy Neal before and that was kind of cool. He was uh, excited, obviously uh, a touchdown like this, a second year player but he saw the same thing too. What he talked about was knowing as he lined up he saw what McLeod saw, that it was middle of the field open and when he saw the play that McLeod checked to he immediately is thinking, this this ball is coming to me. I've got a post against cover zero. This ball is coming to me. And those few seconds where the ball is in the air seem to last forever as he's waiting for it to come down. He's thinking in his head, like, okay, i got to catch this ball. i got to catch this ball. The question I didn't ask him was, and I'll tell you why in a second, but I didn't ask him what I was thinking when the ball was in the air is, were you worried that you were going to run into the upright? Because he came within about a yard of running into the upright when he got that touchdown pass. And the reason I didn't ask him about this is because I don't want to give him the yips about that before. That's the last thing you want to think about. As a receiver in the CFL, it's just one of those things you've got to pretend isn't a threat to your life every time you run a post route uh, deep in opposing territory because it's it's terrifying. There is a giant metal post that is built into the ground standing there waiting for you on your post route. And I didn't want to ask him about that because I didn't want him thinking about that next time he's in that situation. But you, you must have been thinking that too as you saw that ball in the air. Yeah, I mean, m- my first concern was McLeod was going to overthrow him because sometimes quarterbacks overthrow really wide open guys. Then I was concerned he was not going to catch the ball. And then, yeah, for sure, I was definitely concerned that he was about to knock himself out um, running running into the, the uprights. You know, I was there were a number of things I thought that could go wrong there. It was it was definitely a breath holding. And that puts the Argos up 23-20. BC gets a pretty good return and is able to get into field goal range. But like you said before, the kicker ends up getting frozen due to an unfortunate injury and hits the field goal attempt off the upright that yeah. would have tied the game. And that was that was a little frustrating too. I mean, the, the Argos need to clean that up. That, they, 
because it was double. There were two kickoffs, right? The first kickoff they covered really well, but they were offside, and you just can't. And they had to kick again, and and you always risk a, a touchdown when your return team has to kick. You know, has to return twice in a row. You know, your cover team. Um, you can't have that. You can't. I mean, that's that's junior high stuff. You can't be offside on a kickoff. Yeah, and like you're saying, just to clarify what you're saying, the reason that's so dangerous is because your cover guys, those teams aren't just going through the motions. They are giving you 100% on kickoff coverage. You are going full out and you run down the field. You know, you cover about 100 yards in that, you know, between, between widening out and coming back to it. And now suddenly you've got to line up and do that again. You just ran a 100-yard sprint. It's not the same for the return team. They weren't running all the way down the field. And so now you've got a, not exhausted, but they've just, they just you know spent their, their turbo uh, running down the field the first time. And you often see uh, big punt returns, big kick returns when you're forced to kick it a second time. So yeah, that, that, was, that was, could have been a, a huge mistake. But it doesn't end up going to overtime like it did last year. This one ends with Toronto being able to, uh, you know, really play their uh, pl- play properly at the end. I-, I thought they might have to give the ball back to BC, but they ended up getting a few first downs, and then things kind of got a little out of hand with some penalties. But yeah, Toronto was able to take some some knees at the end of the game. I did have to do a little bit of counting in my head to make sure they had enough time left to take well, to take knees especially when they started declining penalties well i right i think there, there it felt like maybe mcleod confirmed that, that hey what are we doing here we are we are not uh we are not accepting this penalty yeah it it, it made either way was fine it, you know the math worked out but it did make me think about it for a second if you accept the penalty it's fine it's first down it means you're going to need one extra play but it's still you've got three now to do it in so it was all fine with me either way but yeah that uh that was it made for an exciting fourth quarter and an exciting game overall um you know not the way i thought it would play out but probably kind of the way you thought it would play out and that's a huge win for the argos who are able to hang on to first place in the East because this puts them now at nine wins. Montreal, who still has to play, has seven. But a loss there, and now suddenly Montreal is trying to beat Ottawa to tie up the division lead. And for the first time in, seems like, months, Toronto uh, would no longer be alone in first place, even though they still currently hold the tiebreaker. We know we know where this journey ends. Yeah, it. we looked at it. It, it, it is kind of a weird dynamic where... No matter what happens in any of these games, I think it's all going to come down to that final Toronto-Montreal game. Even even if Toronto goes ahead and beats Edmonton, um, you know, it's, I think it's it's still going to come down to the final game of the season, which is uh, what you want. I think you want to play tough football right till the end of the year. So it's it's exciting, but it's nice to be in the driver's seat as opposed to catching up. The only way it doesn't come down to the last two games of the season in that back-to-back with Montreal is if Montreal loses these back-to-back games to Ottawa. They would have to lose both, and Toronto would have to beat Edmonton next week. And in that case, that would wrap up the division for Toronto. But barring that, and that's that's just not going to happen. No, I know we both picked Ottawa in a kind of (laughs) dream scenario. Fingers crossed sort of way. I think Montreal probably just puts the boost to Ottawa two games in a row. There are a couple of players that kind of jump off the stat sheet 
uh, again, some good, some bad, but the we talked about Bethel Thompson's numbers. Those numbers are great. The running game wasn't where I thought it might be. Most of the run production in terms of average came from McLeod Bethel Thompson on that, that long run that he had. A.J. Olette, 12 carries, 44 yards. It's okay. We've certainly seen worse, which you know says something. But 3.7 a carry is not a good day. And I'm kind of surprised by that because they saw success running the football last week in Calgary. And they had just under six yards a carry. Nowhere close to that this week. But it was a very different defense. Calgary seemed to be fine letting Toronto run last week. And BC wasn't having any of that. They were pretty determined not to let AJ Olette be a big part of this game plan. I know he ended up with five catches, but just for 21 yards, not the 40, 50, 60 that we've seen in, in games past. And they really did bottle him up in the run game because they they weren't rushing three. They did sometimes, but it wasn't every second down like like we saw last week in Calgary. No, I was surprised. I was surprised they didn't. I was surprised how you know. I mean, the to get the game plan is, is there, and and Toronto definitely had a hard time getting off man coverage. I mean, McLeod spent a lot of the game, you know, looking at orange all over the field. Um, I thought, I thought it was a pretty interesting sort of mental battle between Coach Dinwiddie and uh, Coach Ryan Phillips, the defensive coordinator in BC. Because I felt like even though they weren't running the same thing that Calgary ran last time, it was really well mixed up. And I felt like every drive Toronto came out with an adjusted plan and BC had an adjustment for that. So you had when they were playing those those deep zones like we saw with Calgary last week where they're dropping eight and nine. Toronto's adjustment to that was uh, to start throwing quick passes like quick slants, immediate immediate plays to get the ball in receivers' hands. And that was sort of like, a, I guess, the equivalent to an outside run game. And then when when they made an adjustment to that, now they started playing slightly tighter man, they started playing cover one. Now that was when uh, you started seeing some of the the deeper routes and the man beaters that, um, that Coach Jim Woody called. So I, I found that a really interesting battle to watch from from high up above BMO Field because you could really see that that battle um, as it uh, as it sort of played out in front of us. There's some other stats that I want to talk about. How about Markeith Ambles? For a guy that didn't have a touchdown and, you know, didn't really, I don't know, he didn't really stand out in in any particular, like there weren't any sort of highlight real plays from him today. And yet eight catches, 121 yards. That's that's a huge game. And he's playing a different spot. He was playing the, the W spot, the, the slot receiver to the boundary side where he played a lot before. Like, that's what he did in, in Calgary uh, last year. But he hasn't really played that spot much for Toronto. That's that's a massive day for him in a, in a new position. I think also the fact that that's someone McLeod really trusts. Like, you notice where the receiver's numbers come from today? It's Curly Gittens Jr. and it's Marky Thambles. Everyone else is sort of a smattering of catches and a few yards here and there. Curly Gittens Jr., six catches for 84. Marky Thambles, eight catches for 121. And that's those are the constants. And even though those guys are in different spots, they've moved around a lot. McLeod's got such a good rapport with them because all five of his receivers are in different spots today. And, you know, he just hasn't had a lot of time throwing to to Tommy Neal, to Jeremiah Hadel. That, that's not what he's done all season. So I guess it's not a surprise to see Ambles with those kind of numbers. But we're used to seeing him on those little short routes, those uh, sort of quick screens and quick outs. 
boots. And instead, he was downfield quite a lot today because that's what the W does in Coach Dinwiddie's offense. But good for him to be able to adjust to that and good for McLeod for having faith in Ambles to, to find some open space. Let's get into our players of the game, JB. Uh, let's start with you and we'll start with offense because it's more important. Mm-hmm. What is your, well, I guess, who is your offensive player of the game for this one? Uh, well, it was not easy because the offense was not present for a lot of the game. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I think I've given it to him before. I, I probably lean with McLeod again. He threw for 350 and a touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, I know he had the fumble, but that's, you know, that's championship football. 350, 69% uh, completion rate or something in that range. Uh, he threw the winning touchdown. He's my offensive MVP. I I completely back that. I'm going to go in a different direction, but yeah, very much deserving. And for me, what stands out is that last thing you said. It's not just the, the 350 yards passing. It's that that touchdown pass came exactly when the team needed it. And just because he didn't have uh, another touchdown in there, it's not necessarily on him. You know, he got them to the one yard line for Chad Kelly's QB sneak. He got them there throwing the football. And so that number is maybe a little bit uh, misleading the touchdown number, but when they needed him to put together a quick drive, three plays, 70 yards and a 37 yard touchdown, that's, that's exactly what the doctor ordered. That was a answering the bell. Uh, I'm going to go, with Marquise Ambles for my player of the game. And the reason for that is, like I said, it wasn't highlight reels, it wasn't touchdowns, but it, it was second and 10 plays when they needed a conversion. And when BC knew full well that Toronto had to pass, that's when Marquise Ambles made his catches. He was in tight coverage. He found a way to get a little bit of space, just enough, and to be able to make a play on the football. And he had some really tough catches. He had to go down low a few times. There were a couple that were sort of diving or sliding catches he had to make in that in those eight catches that he had. And again, with everything else going against him, being in a different spot and having different guys playing around you, he really stepped up. So my offensive player of the game is Marquise Ambles. And where are you going on defense? Mm, nobody, nobody jumped out. Um, I think that... Uh, I, yeah, I, 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 I went back and forth a couple of times, but, uh, but I really feel like Robert Priester had a great game. Um, he, he forced a fumble, almost had a pick on a pass breakup. Um, he was around the ball a lot. I, I actually really enjoyed Chris Edwards' physicality out at corner. <laughs> he had some just devastating tackles of guys catching the ball in the flats, like coming from nine yards deep. Um, so like I enjoyed that because that could not have been fun catching those, those flat balls with Edwards coming like a freight train at you. But I, I think Priester was, was my defensive player. I thought he was, I thought he made some really big plays tonight. Yeah. That play that he made the almost interception, it was so close to being a pick. He read that beautifully. It was, it was, I, I, the play didn't develop enough to see what it was going to be. It was either a hook or a dig. And he saw it happening the whole way, stepped right in front of the receiver as he was making his break and he got both hands on it, but it was just, it was coming in pretty hot. Uh, that was a tough catch to make. And I think we forget that the rubber priesters a rookie. And I think that yeah. we we kind of you, you uh, forget I'm, about I mean, that. Look, he 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 can be he can be great. 
Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, he was injured for a while. You had Maurice Carnell in and you're like, oh, it'd be nice to get Priester back. And Carnell played, you know, out, out of his mind. He was he was excellent these last few weeks. And you get Priester back and you're like, okay, well, we've got this veteran presence back there. No, he's he's a rookie, but we've just come to think of him because he's been such a staple with the injury to Shaq that happened earlier in the season. And he's just been such a big part of this defense. But yeah, he played great tonight. Edwards, I agree. If, if Edwards doesn't get that that 15-yard penalty near the end of the game, which I just don't want to see from him anymore. You've got to avoid getting those. And I know you're, I know you, you know, philosophically believe that that's the price you pay for having somebody that runs hot sometimes on your defense, which I, I agree is a good thing sometimes. You just can't have penalties in those situations. It didn't cost them today. But it looked it like Edwards might have been involved on that touchdown too, um, looking at guys sort of, yelling at each other after the play and, and where the ball went to that swing out pass. I I, I, I kind of held that against him a little bit too for, for defensive player. So I'm going to go a different direction for this, but I want a quick shout out uh, to, because it wasn't, it's not in the running for play of the game and I don't think he did enough to be player of the game, but there is another moment and this is going to be something Argos fans I think have to get used to where once a game, you were going to have a devastating hit from Jack Kassar. We've seen a few already. He absolutely lit up the kick return. I don't remember who it was on that one, um, but it was a third quarter, and he came in just like a freight train and uh, just took this guy's feet right out. And we, you know, we saw him do that at we saw him do that at Carlton and. Uh, you know, for, for years of that, he's been doing that since he was like seven years old. And that was beautiful to see. But for a defensive player of the game, I'm going to go with Ja'Gara Davis. He led the team in tackles with six. He had two quarterback sacks. But it was more than just that. His speed was very evident today. And after the game, we, we reminisced a little bit about him being able to cover DJ Foster on that wheel route last year in the East Final. That's the first time I realized that Jaguar Davis really did have some speed for a big man. We saw that today. He broke up a ton of plays out in the flats where he had just no business being. And he was able to track down receivers that were getting these these quick looks. And Davis isn't a guy that's accounted for. The, the receivers are out there blocking the DBs and suddenly Davis comes flying in and, and makes a tackle for like a one or two yard gain. And so it wasn't just the quarterback sacks. It wasn't just the the run stop. It wasn't just containing Vernon Adams, who we, we agreed had to had to be contained and he didn't he, you know he had one rush for nine yards it wasn't an issue he was a big part of that and so all of that together makes him the defensive player of the game for me yeah I love him his temperament too I think it's really is really helpful um having him out there where you know he's dancing between plays or just as you know there's a lot, there's a lot of guys on the team that are you know wound pretty tight and run pretty high uh, RPMs and uh, are ready to roll, you know, and you need somebody who's, you know, you need a mix out there. And I think he, he has a way of like being into it. And when the whistle goes, he's ready, but he, he isn't a boiling pot the whole game. 
Yeah, he's he's super chill. And uh, he was the last person we spoke to in the, in the press conference. And so afterwards, he just wanted to stay there so he could see the end of the J game. We're all just sort of standing there watching the monitors. And, you know, he's he's just like right into that. Suddenly, he's just such a such a positive guy. And you're right. You need players like that on the team. You can't it can't all be it can't all be Chris Edwards. You need a couple of those guys, too. But you need this sort of balance. And, and he brings that. He's just yeah, super chill really positive uh, and, you know, a, a great guy to have in that locker room. Where are you going for play of the game, JB? My play of the game, I actually uh, took a note when it happened, play of the game, question mark. And it turned out to be the play of the game, in my opinion. It was Haggerty tracking down the punt returner who was about to take it for a score and ice the game to resounding boos from the crowd. And Haggerty came across the field and, wipe that guy out and uh, preserve the game. I, th- I thought it was to play the game. It was a beautiful play. And it's not the first time we have thanked our stars that our uh, the Toronto Argonauts punter is a former rugby player because he uh, he's he's made a few tackles and, this season and, and a few touchdown saving tackles. Because sometimes you have punters and they make tackles, but then they also like break their collarbone doing it, um, you know, or sprain their fingers and you know you can see he's able to to deliver that tackle and not wreck himself well he's 6'5 225 also which helps but yeah he and he's got the right angle too that's more the thing for me you never see punters take the right angle on a guy like that he's he's always perfect it was a yeah i i was massive i mean i think game game's over they score touchdown there I, i just think it's it was yeah it was huge my play of the game is way more obvious than yours. It's the it's the touchdown to put them ahead. I just thought the way that it was the efficiency, it was everything about it. It was recognizing the defense. It was changing the play. It was trusting a guy that hasn't been really in there all season. He kind of had one other game where he made a couple big plays in Hamilton before he got injured running into the advertising signs. And that's the guy that he he trusted. And he said, you know what, this, this guy's going to, the kid's going to go make a play. This is the right call for the right situation. Put his faith in him. Game's on the line. Throws a, a perfect ball. That, I know it's, 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 it's sort of chalk. It's not exciting. It's not as interesting as your play of the game. But to me, that is the play of the game. It's the winning touchdown pass. And uh, you know, we've certainly seen that one go in a different direction in games past. Well, that will just about do it for us on this post-game reaction episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Argos win 23-20. They stay in first place for now. We'll see what uh, what happens over the next couple of weeks, but they're in a really nice spot with three games to go. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. <laughs>